When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest Extra. I'm Kai Kainak, Arsenal reporter for Football.London and I'm joined by the Daily Mirror's chief football correspondent, John Cross. We're here to talk about yesterday's North London derby. It was an event-packed match, a very interesting game, but I think the major talking point where we have to start, Crossy, is um, the penalty. That was the decision that decided the game. Did you think it was a penalty? Uh, it's really interesting, Kai, because I've, I've got to be honest, at the time, when I first saw it, you know, you think, blimey, you know, it's sitting there in real time in, in the stadium, by the way, sort of kind of, you know, you've got this got this sort of great view, sort of diagonal on. I'm thinking, oh, he's wiped him out. But then you could see the first replay. In the first replay, I'm thinking, no, he's missed the ball. He's he's, he's taken an air, air shot at it. And then basically, sort of Sanchez has then wiped him out. The ball's gone. And then it's only afterwards, really, that you kind of suddenly think, well, actually, even if it's, you know, even if he's taken him out in the same motion, um, and sort of, you know, did check in with 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 the sort of kind of you know the the, the referee sort of side of it, Premier League wise, and and you you know you begin to realise well actually a foul is is still a foul even if 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 it's slightly after the event if you like. So I did in in sort of kind of all things considered did think it was a penalty. Yes, um, it was interesting really. It's divided people uh, right down the middle, and I think almost to sort of highlight and sort of. Um, underline that kind of, you know, uh, split decision on it, because I don't think it's sort of black and white, is that basically I got the impression that in in it, Michael Oliver clearly thought it was a penalty, the referee. Um, and then Paul Tierney looks at, at it from a VAR perspective, clearly thought, well, not, not too sure, but we go back to that thing. Is it a clear and obvious error? Well, you know, the, the feeling was that basically, no, it wasn't obvious enough to kind of overturn it, if you like. I did see what Jose Mourinho said afterwards, saying that the fourth official said that, you know, that the, the, uh, the, the encouraged the referee to, to check it. I'm not sure I quite believe that. Sometimes these things are said in anger and haste. And, you know, I do think it was, of course, it was checked by the VAR. There's no way around that. It, you know, and clearly the VAR didn't think there was enough um, uh, to turn it around. I, I could, I can see it from both sides. I can yeah. actually see that there's an argument that basically that it shouldn't have been given. My my feeling is that actually the penalty was was right to stand because you can't you can't go flying through people and then not expect otherwise. What happens at corner situations when the yeah. ball, you know, kind of you know, comes comes in and either before or after you pin someone down so they can't play the ball. Well, it's the same, isn't it? So yeah. I I do actually think it, it, in the in the big shake-up, really, in the big fallout, I think Jet, overall, I think it was a penalty. It's a strange one, isn't it? Because anywhere else on the pitch, if you're late in a tackle, then it is a foul. But when it comes to taking shots or when it comes to inside the penalty box, there seems to be an unwritten rule that if you, if you get your shot away, then anything that happens afterwards is sort of collateral. But... I've never really understood that. I've always thought that, I mean, obviously, Arsenal perspective on it is slightly different from the Spurs perspective. And I think Mourinho, after the game, called it, he said he refused to call it a penalty because it was a disgrace to penalties or something like that. Another <laughs> yeah. classic yeah. Mourinho live from a press conference. But 
I think it's a strange one because we saw Eric Lamella got his first yellow card. We'll come on to his performance because mm. it's an interesting one later. But his first yellow card was for a late tackle, which was more or less similar to what Sanchez did on Lacazette. Yes, Lacazette does miss the ball, and but he makes contact and then Sanchez comes in and that can endanger an opponent. That's what the foul was for. And I think on, on balance, it probably probably was just about a penalty despite the very strong protestations uh, to the country from, from all the other people. But Mourinho was definitely unhappy with that. Another thing he was unhappy with was his side's first half performance where he said they really lacked intensity in the game. And I don't know, Crossy, you were there at the game. Do you feel like they um, they upped their intensity in the second half? And do you think, what do you make of Mourinho's tactics in a, in a big game, in a derby match with Arsenal's defence playing the way it has been in recent games? Spurs didn't really come at them like we expected them to. What do you make of that? Yeah, I was really surprised, Kai, in, the, in that basically I did feel, you know, Spurs finished the game so well, didn't they? With, with, mm. with, with Despite being down to 10 men, the last 20 minutes, it was kind of a bit of a siege, really. So they pinned Arsenal back and... I, I, listen, first and foremost, I was a bit surprised that Mourinho went with his his, his much talks about much vaunted front three, mm. and and then obviously Lucas Moore in the ten, and then I didn't, I wasn't quite sure, you know, whether Mourinho would risk that in such a big game away from home. It's not, it's not very Mourinho esque. So you know, credit to him. But I just, I agree with him that that basically Bale was so so poor in the game. I mean, he was really. You know, we took, there's been so much discussion about Bale, and I'm a huge Bale fan. But he's, you know, he's offered no protection to Matt Doherty at all. Whatever you think about Matt Doherty and, and this season, it's been a difficult season for him. I don't think he's settled particularly well um, at Spurs. I just think he was horribly exposed. Arsenal's best, you know, joy was down their left hand side, Spurs right, and they absolutely, you know, killed them down that flank. Smith Rowe and Tierney, that link up was was key to the game in, in in my view, right throughout the whole 90 minutes. And I was just so surprised then that Spurs kind of, you know, weren't at the races. You know, when they score, they, 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 it was out of out of you know context of the rest of the game, if you like, against the runner player, I should say. And I just thought that, you know, up until that point, Arsenal were much, much better. And um, and didn't deserve to be behind. And uh, yeah, Spurs really surprised me because I felt that the results on Saturday meant that there was a lot at stake for them. Mm. And that basically, you know, a big win would have really strengthened this belief that they could yet make a late, late push for the uh, for the top four. It's looking tough now. And I just think, like, I was really surprised about their lack of intensity. And, you know, it was a bit typical, it felt a bit typical of Mourinho yeah. afterwards, didn't yeah. it? To kind of say and some of the big players go hiding and... It did really, and uh, you know, I, di- I just, yeah, I was very, very surprised and disappointed in Spurs, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you've sort of picked up on Mourinho's reaction afterwards, which is what I was wanting to ask you about next. Is sort of we've seen the the classic Mourinho playbook, which is deflect attention away from himself and away from his tactics, put the focus on the players, put the focus on the referees. But we've seen this defensive approach from Mourinho in game after game after game. We saw it in that game against Chelsea when it was one of the most boring nil-nils you're likely to see ever when Tuchel sort of matched up with him and they went nil-nil. Um, it's something that we see consistently from Mourinho in big games, maybe except for that 6-1 against Manchester United earlier in the season, but there were other circumstances around that. Do you think Spurs are obviously a side with lofty ambitions? They want to be getting into the top four. They want to be, they're in the Champions League final not that long ago and they definitely mm. want to get back to that. You know, they've moved into the new stadium. They've got big ambitions going forward. Do you think Mourinho 
is the right man with those kind of defensive tactics in big games to be able to take them there? Uh, I'm so torn on it. I do think he's at heart a pragmatist and mm. I think it's rather like this season. Spurs don't quite know where they're going with it really because they have some some big setbacks like like yesterday when, when Arsenal were you know dominant, I think thoroughly deserved the win. And yet actually, if you look at the overall picture, I think at times Spurs have played some decent stuff, particularly with, you know, in recent times when they've sort of kind of used the front three with a bat, you know, with a kind of a 10 as well. That's a very attacking formation. That's what Spurs fans want. And can't say they, you know, they can't say it's too formulaic Spurs. I do think they sort of allowed themselves to, to express themselves really as a team. And, 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 and actually, they're still in a cup final, Wembley Cup final, with the Carabao Cup. And ultimately, if they if they're trying to sort of kind of say we're a big team, we want to be winning trophies, that's that's the first step there. I I just still think that Spurs fans, though, if you look at sort of kind of social media, and he's kind of you know, uh, I live in North London, I've got a lot of Spurs fans who are sort of you know makes them quite a few you know about three or four season ticket holders, and they've been for years, and they're still struggling with the whole concept. They, yeah. they don't. They don't like you know Mourinho. They don't like the style of play, and sometimes I sort of say, yeah, but you, you're winning games, and and that performance was okay, wasn't it? And they're still not having it. They're just not having it, and it's 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 always been an obstacle there because associations with other clubs, like whether it be Chelsea or kind of style of football, and you know, I I just wonder what Mourinho needs to kind of you know sort of convince the fans. I think it's a trophy, and then basically if they win the Carabao Cup getting to Europe, then I think I still think it's been a decent season for Spurs. And I think you've got to play the long game because Spurs, like a few clubs, including Arsenal, are really struggling, I think, sort of kind of financially. And it's difficult times because of the pandemic. And you know, they've got their own particular set of circumstances, i.e. the new stadium. So it's a really difficult, challenging period. But, you know, I still think we'll, we'll make the decision on Mourinho based on whether he wins a trophy or not. Mm. And we could talk about Mourinho for more or less the rest of the show, <laughs> yeah. can we? But we'll get I do quite like him, you know. I still think yeah. he's quite good value, you know. He's sort of kind of decent in press about. conferences and kind yeah. of, you know, delivers. And, you know, I know it's sort of kind of fans get frustrated because there's a so-called media loving about Mourinho. Well, there is because he delivers headlines. Yeah. Know? And yeah. so he's still always good value and you can't, you know, sometimes he's just... It's just cheeky for the sake of it. And, you, yeah, yeah you, you know, I do think he's still quite good value on that front. Certainly makes our job a lot easier. But, yeah. you know, speaking of cheeky things, let's talk about Eric Lamella's goal yesterday. You said you said it's it's um, the goal of the season. I I wasn't lucky enough to be out of the game. You were there. Was Is that the best goal you've ever seen live, do you think? Oh, I don't know about that, actually. Um, oh, gosh. While you think about that, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, what the one that I've got in tell my me. head, yeah. which is... Giroud's scorpion kick against Crystal yeah. Palace a few years ago. That, for me, is the best goal I've ever seen live. I think Lamella's one in terms of audacity and individual skill comes close to it. But um, for me, that Giroud one still is uh, ranking just about above it. Yeah, it's a great shout. I've been lucky enough to kind of see some amazing goals. And immediately, you know, that sort of kind of comes to mind. There's been a few spectacular Omri ones that I've seen mm. live in the flesh. Definitely. Uh, Ibrahimovic against England will will always you know wow. there and there for that and so that will live long in the memory. The Jack the Jack Wilshere goal, the kind of the intricate passing yeah. one, that kind of you know, uh, blimey, it was it was it was astonishing really. Um, it's a great shout. It's definitely in my top five. 
right. well, top, top three, I would say. And what the, what made it so special was that where I was sat in the press box, and we're so lucky at the moment, aren't we? Sort of kind of those as uh, a game, and um, you know, and you're fortunate to have gone to some games yourself, and it's yeah. it's you feel quite privileged in the stadium at the moment. Maybe that sort of kind of brings it home a little bit more. But from where I was sat to the kind of the left edge of the of the sort of the dugouts behind the dugouts, you had this almost I had this most incredible diagonal view, in that basically I could see Lamella wrapping his left leg around his standing right leg and then just you know play the ball and then just almost exactly like in line diagonally with where it was where the ball of the path of the ball was going into the far corner and that's what for me made it even more special I don't know whether I was deceiving myself with angles there (laughs) and basically everyone could see the same thing but it just felt this incredible precise angle and it was where I just thought, wow, that is amazing. And I just love, you know, skillful players. And Lamella is that skillful player. It's a bit of an enigma, isn't he? I mean, yeah. you know, immediately people kind of throw up, oh, he's done it before. And kind of, you know, this this isn't even, even his best Rabona because he did it in 2014 <laughs> in the Europa League. Well, I'm sorry. I don't I don't buy that for a second. Why, why was this, this better than that one? Which I do remember. I think I was at that game. Well, it's obvious. It's because basically it's a big game. And to try that big piece of audacity and the sort of audacious skill in, in, in the North London derby is, is off the scale. It's fantastic. And that's what that's what gripped me. And, you know, I thought that was a fantastic piece of skill and could have at that point changed the game from a Spurs perspective, I guess. You're looking at it and you're thinking, wow, you must, you know, you kind of got to grasp the metal with that and use that as kind of the the springboard to go and win the game. And that, you know, on the basis of play, when Arsenal had been so dominant up to that point, that would have been unfair. But that piece of skill, you know, was was the open invitation to do it. So it was an amazing effort. I, I love yeah. the skill. I love the audacity. And the notion also that the lengths that Lamella will go to to stop himself from having to use his right foot. He's, the most, <laughs> he's one of the most, he's one of the most, you know, one-footed players you, you, you're ever likely to see, isn't it? It's, it's incredible, you know. Arsenal have had a few down the years, but he, yeah. he's, he's right up there. Yeah, I think Nicolas Pepe might give him a rival, a rival yeah. as well in the current Arsenal squad. But let's talk about the rest of Lamella's display, which was uh, slightly less spectacular. He seemed to be... From the minute he came on, he seemed to be sort of very charged in his attempts to try and wind up the Arsenal team. And he he, he ended up taking that a bit too far, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. And I think both, you could make a case for both yellow cards. And I felt mm. that the first one was, was, was definitely a yellow. I'll be honest, the second one that I wasn't quite so sure about, really. It's it's one of those where I felt that because he, because he and Spurs had been a bit, uh, you know, had been naughty and a bit aggressive, basically. In a typical feisty game, I think that basically there's an element there of sort of kind of totting up that made Oliver go, do you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna book you for that as well. And basically off you go. Yeah. I just felt as if there were worse offenders in, in the game. I mean, at the time, I have to say, I kind of looked at the Kane one on Gabrielle, yeah. where, and I know this has caused a lot of debate and say, well, you know, why hasn't this been highlighted? I saw it at the time. I thought, wow, that's... You know that that's a bad one, and you know on the TV replay because I just hadn't you know saw it, you know saw what happened live, but you don't see the full extent of it in the stadium, sort of kind of sitting in your seat, and you see the replay on the on the sort of kind of monitor there. 
And I was thinking, well, oh, I wonder if he'll get done and do sort of bring it back. But he clearly didn't. Mm. And, you know, you see it from a different angle and maybe you think, mm, you know, it's not as bad as that. But one angle is particularly damning. And I, I just thought in the grand scheme of things, I wonder whether that kind of played into Michael Oliver's mind and said, right, I'm going to try and stamp my authority back on it. And that's why. I don't think that Lamella can have too much of a complaint. You know, no. overall, I think that basically, I think that a Spurs player was, was I think, inevitably going to get sent off just because, you know, it was getting out of hand. It was getting a bit niggly. And, you know, Lamella was distraught clearly afterwards. Well, you know, I, I, I've got a certain sympathy, but I don't really think you can have too much complaints, really. No. I don't know what you think, but did you think? I thought he was, he was, the amount of fouls he ended up making in the build up to that um, first yellow card. I, I know that on, afterwards I saw a match of the day, Jermaine Genius was saying that he got the ball, so it wasn't a yellow card. But I think it wasn't so much for the individual foul, was it? It was for the, like you were saying, just the totting mm. up of niggly little fouls that Lamella kept making. And after he got that yellow card, he didn't sort of heed his warning and hang back a bit, which is what players who are, are, are good at that sort of thing, which Lamella is normally, to be fair to him, he normally, he knows the line to tread. It's a very fine line, but we've seen Oibier mm. also does it and he he managed to sort of reel himself back in after he got a booking, but he went around making a few uh, fouls on the day. I think they targeted Bukayo Saka quite a lot in the first half, didn't mm. they? Which Sadly, he came off injured and hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll hear an update on that soon. Hopefully that's not too serious. We think that's more of a hamstring problem actually. But yeah, it was, it was, um, I thought it probably was in the grand scheme of things a red I think just accumulation of fouls like you can't maybe Lamella was distraught after it and it's a shame that on a day he scored such a great goal that the game had to end in that way for him but you, you have to you have to know where the line is and I think he lost it a bit and you know Mourinho was talking before the game actually about how no fans in the stadium means there's probably a little bit less passion a little bit less less edge going into the, into the derby there was no signs of that on the day I think both Arsenal and Spurs were pretty pretty adamant that they were going to be up for a fight. And we saw that actually with not just um, Spurs players, in fairness, Arsenal players were were happy to give a bit back. And Granit Xhaka, David Luiz, they were they were giving a bit back to the Spurs bench. What do you what do you think that makes what do you think that says about the Arsenal character? Because we've seen in recent years Arsenal teams have come up against Mourinho sides and they've really started to struggle when it comes um to sort of dealing with that physical side of the game. But Yesterday, they, they really stood up to be counted. Do you think that's a, an effect that Arteta's having on the side? Yeah, I, I, I do. Listen, first and foremost, I'm quite a big Arteta fan. You know, I do yeah. think that basically, I do think he's... Listen, I think it's just strange territory where Arsenal are in mid-table. I just don't... I, it doesn't sit easy, you know. And basically, I, I, I like the fact that, you know, Arsenal fans have bought into this project. I'm not sure that other managers have been afforded so much time, but, you know, so much the better, really, because the last thing Arsenal need to be doing is changing the manager again. But it's just, uh, you know, it's going to be, I think, a painful time because I can't see Arsenal getting back into Europe. And I think that's basically going to cause, you know, a knock-on effect, you know, about keeping players, about signing new players, about reshaping, rebuilding the squad. But I do think generally he's moving absolutely in the right direction. It's just going to take time and patience. And the one aspect of him, I like his kind of, you know, his his emotion and his his determination on the on the uh, on the sidelines. And I think that feeds into the players, and I think the players sort of kind of take, you know, take that. And I like, you know, Jacques is such an interesting player, isn't he? Because he's, 
you know, there's such two sides to him because he can be so frustrating with all these yeah. mistakes that he, he's an amazing stat about the sort of kind of mistakes leading to a goal. And yet other times you're thinking, well, he's definitely the best part, you know, partner for Thomas Partey, who's clearly a brilliant midfielder and, mm. you know, just need to unlock it on a regular basis, fitness-wise, I think. Um, and I love that kind of, you know, passion. I love Tierney and the, and the attitude that he brings. And, 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 and also David Luiz to a degree. I think David yeah. Luiz is, you know, you can see it vocally on the pitch and sort of off the pitch. He's got a good reputation of being, you know, strong, as not a different sort of voice? Um, so... I think it's, you know, I do think it's it, it, it's great that they've got that bit of edge to them. It's great that they've got that character and, and, and those leaders. And I love that mentality because the mentality has been such an issue for Arsenal for so long in that basically they've been a bit soft. It's been seen as a bit of a soft touch. And at any little, you know, sign that they're doing that on a regular and consistent basis got to be a good thing. And I do think they're sort of kind of that mentality is is quite a big thing for Arsenal. I do think it's, it'd be naive to suggest it's, you know, flipped overnight and I think it's a long-term mm. thing. But I do think that basically that comes from signing the right players and the right characters. And again, I kind of think that January was quite big in that and sort of kind yeah. of making sure the squad was a bit more unified and together. And I think that was a big step forward. And I think that, you know, I think this summer as well, if he's able to sign decent players, you want to sign the right players with the right yeah. mentality. For sure. And, we talk about mentality and sort of a cultural shift. Uh, another big call that Arteta made before the game was obviously to drop Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and we know that that was due to a disciplinary reason. Uh, we were talking about it before actually, weren't we, saying that we think it's it's the right call from Mikel Arteta. Obviously, Aubameyang is the, the captain, star striker, top goal scorer, but when it comes to discipline, Arteta's had a, a really big job on his hands because that was the issue... Obviously, you can look at the tactical side with Unai Emery, but ultimately, I think personally, the the thing that ended up forcing him out was the fact that he lost the dressing room. And mm. Arteta is showing that he's got he's no intention of doing that. He's letting them know, look, I'm the boss. That's the way. That's the the lay of the land. And yeah, I'm interested to hear what you you think about the decision to drop Aubameyang due to disciplinary issues. Yeah, no, look, I think he it's easy to say this when Arsenal have won, isn't it? Yeah. It looks good, yeah. you know. I mean, the fans were going mad on on social media beforehand, saying, oh, you know cutting off your nose despite your, your face, thinking that Arsenal would lose as a result. And I guess it makes it easier to swallow the decision, doesn't it, when, mm. when you win. But I absolutely thought it was the right decision. I really did. I, I think that, you know, it's clearly a timekeeping issue. Um, and so you, you can't afford to report up late. Uh, he was due to start, absolutely. And, and then basically, you know, as I wrote this morning, I don't think it was the, you know, in this morning's paper, I don't think it was the first... Um, First time he's been he's been you know late either. So I do think somewhere along the line you've kind of got to reassert that authority. And if you're doing it just for squad players or just for players who are not that important and don't include your top scorer and captain who, who you know ultimately should be setting an example, I just mm. think it, you quickly so quickly lose the respect of the other players, particularly when it comes around to having to punish them. And I just think that basically it. it it was absolutely the right thing to do. Even if Arsenal had conceded late on and not won the game, I think it was completely the right choice to do. I think we live in very, very difficult, challenging times. And I think the very least you can do is kind of, you know, observe, you know, the ground rule set and, and be even more alive to it. And I do think that basically, ultimately, you've got to sort of kind of sit back and say the captain has to set an example. Yeah. And I, and I think Arteta is... You know, very serious on that. He was like that as a player. Um, 
And I think that, it, you know, it's unforgivable. I mean, it was a great picture, wasn't there, on social media. I don't know if you saw it. And basically, him stuck in traffic in Muswell Hill. I saw that, which yeah. Is, which is only a couple of miles away from from the Arsenal ground. And someone who used to live in Muswell Hill, uh, you know, that is a very regular occurrence. And, and <laughs> frankly, you know, it's always like that, lockdown or not. I mean, I, you know, Joe, from where I live in North London to 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 the game yesterday. And it's like, it's it, it's, it was so busy. You'd never know. It was lockdown. It was so busy. And 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 the fact of the matter is that basically what do you do? You leave a bit earlier because yeah. you know it's going to be busy. And I just don't think that, you know, people sort of send, well, I mean, that's why you've got to start. You should go and report it, you know, sort of thing, you know, sort of that. That's the, that's the reason. Come off it. You've got a flight to catch. You, you get there for a time, yeah. you know, you yeah, get yeah. there on time, don't you? You never miss a flight, I don't think. So why on earth do you think it's sort of acceptable to be a little bit late for you know, a team meeting, answer you don't. You just make sure that, that you you know, you get there on time. It's just unforgivable. So I do think it was absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah, it's that captain's protocol, isn't it? First to mm. show up, last to leave kind of thing. I mean, it's it's something that, yeah, had it gone wrong and had Arsenal lost the game, Mikel Arteta would be getting abuse and uh, all sorts of criticism for it. I agree with you. I think he was, it was the right choice. I think he has to set the standards and, Aubameyang is his captain and he's he afterwards spoke glowingly about him. He said, look, he's a good guy, but he's made this mistake and I had to punish him for it. Hopefully we can move on. And obviously Aubameyang's not happy. He didn't look happy on the bench and he was pretty upset. I think that he wasn't brought on at all during the game, but standards have to be set. And I think Mikel Arteta is very clear about that. But let's move on a little bit and talk about something else in the Arsenal performance, which really caught my eye. And you spoke earlier a little bit about him actually was um, Mill Smith-Rowe, who was mm. absolutely outstanding in the game for me was man of the match took it off after just 77 minutes but still managed to create more opportunities than the entire Spurs squad put together so it's just a sign of how incredible he is and I think we've already spoken actually a little bit earlier um, before we came on about the England squad being announced Mm. on Thursday and Jack Grealish has been injured recently I think James Madison is still injured do you think there's a chance he could be uh, called up into Gareth Southgate's senior side? Well, I guess we'll soon know because I do yeah. think he'll probably be in the under twenty ones. But I, it's really interesting because I wonder if if Aubameyang had started yesterday, I wonder whether that might have been at the expense of Smith Rowe. In that, basically, you know, would Aubameyang have started uh, on the left, if you like, Lacazette mm. through the middle, and basically, you know, Lacazette is actually quite. I always think Lacazette is quite reliable in big games. Yeah, and they're basically he's quite a big game player as he proved again against Spurs. But you just wonder, and 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 I'm such a massive Smith Rowe fan. That the one thing is, I would say, is that basically, you know, you've got to look at it and say, you know, there is a lot of injuries right now, but there's a hell of a lot also of competition in in those in those front areas for for England on a senior level. But I just think that Smith Rowe, I think, has been um, uh, the you know. Uh, I think he's been so interesting in sort of kind of that number 10 role and then basically being moved out by sort of Odegaard um, has been quite a big, uh, a big, you know, sort of kind of gamble on Arsenal's point because I think that, you know, Smith Rowe has been like a breath of fresh air. Mm. I think his sort of energy and work rate is better when he's central. There's no doubt about it in my mind. I don't think he's even particularly a wide player, you know, so I, th- I just think he's, he's much more influential when, he, when he's in the game. And so I think that he's, um, you know, I do think he's he's got an England future ahead of him without a shadow of a doubt. But going back to that point, I guess, is that basically, 
you know, I think maybe he just needs to learn his kind of, or, to, you know, get his under 21 wings, if you like, yeah. really. Because yeah. I think he's been in the under 21s before, hasn't he? And then basically just um, uh, squad. Maybe, yeah, maybe the squad. I don't know if he played. He's definitely played for no. the 20s. I'm not sure whether he's made his under 21 debut yet. Yeah, I think he might have been in a squad, if I okay. remember correctly. Okay. And then basically, I do think the one thing that Southgate likes to do is kind of see that in yeah. normal traditional yeah. cases is yeah. kind of go through the age groups and go through the St George's Park system, mm-hmm. if you like. So I do think that basically, I think that he'll just earn his wings. There's no doubt about it, in my mind. He's, he's, he's an Arsenal you know, regular for years to come and definitely, yeah. definitely England senior international. But I do think he's up against this incredible array of, you know, English English talent. And so if everyone's fit, I don't think he's in. But yeah. I think that basically let's see let's see what happens. But I do, you know, I do think that he's probably under twenty ones for now. Yeah, I didn't even mention Phil Foden when I was talking about the number ten options there. Yeah. Foden, Madison, Grealish, uh others who aren't coming to mind right now. Yeah, like you say, it's pretty Tricky. Yeah. And by the way, he's, I think England have got to start playing Saka as part of the front three. Agrees, agrees. Well, that's my hope is that he's not out injured for the international yeah. game because I, I would have liked to have seen him involved in the front three. I think Shaw and Chilwell are two decent options at left back now, so maybe they don't need to play him there. And if they're going to stick with the back three, then I guess it move, makes sense to maybe move Saka into one of those attacking positions instead of at wing back where he's probably a little bit less effective and you need that pace in the final third and the directness in international level because that's what scares opposition defenders and mm. has got it in abundance. And if you look at left-footed wingers that England have, they don't have too many. They've got lots of right-footed players who like to cut in from the left-hand side, but there's not many players who like to play on the right. And Saka's done so well on the right wing in recent times. So maybe that's something. I, hopefully he'll be fit for the international break, although I get the suspicion that Arsenal probably won't <laughs> release him for the internationals if there's even a hint of an injury just with it coming up so soon but yeah let's 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 go to some of your questions now we've got an interesting one coming in from Mohamed Ismail who says um, Arteta in the last two games has done a good job but any match where he doesn't play holding we have a big problem at the back so obviously Rob Holding has found himself out of the side recently and David Luiz has come in for him I personally thought Rob Holding has been one of Arsenal's best defenders this season I really like the partnership between him and Gabriel but in recent matches Arteta seems to have favoured David, Louise, what do you make of that right-sided centre-back position, sort of the the debate between those two players? Yeah, I, I really like Rob Holding. I think that basically if you sort of kind of break down Arsenal's best players this season, I think Holding's in the in the kind of, in the conversation, isn't he? He's sort of mm. one of the sort of best three, you know. I'd probably go for Saka and, you know, Smith-Rowe in there, in there as well a little bit. But um, I just, you know, I think Holding is a really good player and he's so solid and so good up until obviously that concussion. And for whatever yeah. reason, since then, he's just not, you know, he was the, he was one of the first names on the team sheet. And I do think that's, a, you know, it is a valid point. I think that it'd be interesting to see what happens with David Luiz. I, I, I think they'll give him another contract. And then basically, right. th- then that'll be, it'll, you know, I think he'll get another contract. And then there's still so much competition in the centre half areas, and you know while you while you were playing with a back three, it's easier to manage. But then basically, you know, when when you're playing a back four, I think it's going to be that much more difficult. You know, I think the sort of kind of Callum Chambers comes into the conversation as well. Maybe that'll be as 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 as, as backup right back because, you know, I feel I feel as if you know Hector Bellerin will probably leave in the summer. And then basically they'll go with Cedric Suarez and then sort of, you know, Chambers right back up. So 
you know, there's options there. I, I'm a big holding fan. I agree with that point. I do, I do think Arsenal are better and more solid. And again, talking about characters, I think he's a big character. Mm, I think we'd be remiss when we're talking about that right-sided centre-back spot, also not to remember William Saliba. He's going to come yes. back in the summer. I think maybe you say you think David Luiz will get a contract. My personal thinking is that I don't think Arsenal will offer him that extension just purely because of the fact that a, he'll be 34 come the end of the season, David Luiz. And I think he comes in for a lot of stick, but I think he has actually done quite a good job mm. over the past couple of seasons. People wheel out the red card stats and the penalty stats. And, you know, fair enough, those are true. And those are things you can hit him with. But Arsenal have a very young team. And you look at Gabriel alongside him. He's a player who is a great defender, but he does tend to get a bit shaky in when he's under pressure in those big moments. And I think having a leader alongside him, like a David Luiz, or even like a Rob Holding, is necessary but I look at Saliba and I look at how well he's doing in France I look at how much Arsenal have invested in him which is a lot of money I think if they do end up sending him out on loan again come the start of next season then for me that seems like Arteta doesn't really view him in his long-term plans but I mean that's just pure speculation on my part I'm not 100% sure but we can talk about Saliba and we can talk about another young player and there's a question coming in from Paul Davis, who um, says, what on earth is going on uh, with Martinelli? And uh, Gabriel Martinelli wasn't even involved in the squad yesterday. Um, why do you think that is? As soon as you say Paul Davis, I think, I think of Arsenal legends. In some <laughs> but, um, it's, a great, it's a good point he makes in that basically, I just, I mean, I, I agree with him wholeheartedly. It is it's slightly mystifying. Arteta, I think, sets such high standards that basically it makes you suddenly think, well, you know, is it an issue about kind of, you know, levels in training? Is it an issue about sort of kind of mentality or, or focus? Or, you know, he's had so many injury problems, you know, has that infected his confidence? The answer is I'm not absolutely sure if I'm, if I'm brutally honest. But, you know, I just think that he's such an exciting player, isn't he? And he yeah. can make. I also think that you know Arsenal clearly have so many options that basically it's difficult to make a case for him starting. But the one aspect is that basically where he makes a case to start is is, is an impact substitute, and he can make that impact substitute. If you remember around December time when Martinelli got back in the side, he was making such a difference, and he yeah. gave the team such an energy that I just thought it was it was great it was great to see and so it's kind of really frustrating because I do genuinely believe that this is a special talent yeah and there's you know there's something not quite right there and you do wonder whether it's slightly a fitness issue and um you know it will be interesting to see kind of when he comes back in because it surely can't be long because I do think he's a really such a special player it's that thing isn't it that makes the the Willian signing seem even more curious mm. Willian's a guy who comes in for a lot of sticks. I've no intention of piling any more on top of him right here. But I think <laughs> his stats last week were amazing, yeah. by the way, yeah. weren't they? About the yeah, assists, they were, they were very good. Four assists in four games, not bad. Yeah. But I just, I feel that when it comes to Arsenal's young players, you look at Reese Nelson in the under twenty threes, can't get a game for the, can't even get on the bench in the senior team. Martinelli can't even get on the bench. I just, I, I do question. I, I get why Arteta brought in Willian. I get why he felt he needed a bit more experience going forward, especially with. Pepe's sort of unreliability in the first season. He's starting to find a bit more consistency now, Pepe. But I think I just, I, I wonder about the wisdom of that. And especially given that Willian's going to be around for another two seasons after this. I think if it was a 
a one-year contract or a two-year contract may be fair enough. But mm. players like Martinelli have seen their minutes docked while players like Willian are being given opportunities. And I know that's something Arsenal fans, especially on social media, aren't particularly happy about. And Willian, yeah, he's putting up the numbers. He's getting assists, but he's he's not... I don't think he's um, a long-term solution in the way that Martinelli is. And maybe come the summer, we'll see Martinelli starting to be used as a number nine. I think that's a really interesting proposition because Alex Lacazette looks as though, you know, despite how he continues to perform in big games, looks as though he's going to be on his way. So yeah, maybe we'll see him used as a striker then. That could be interesting. But yeah, I think it's a really unfortunate situation, Rui Gabriel Martinelli. And maybe he'll go out on loan next season. Maybe he'll be in and around the first team. I'm not really sure what the best thing to do with him is other than try and give him minutes where possible. But Arsenal's games are all so important now. There's no FA mm. Cup game where you could sort of throw him in for 45 minutes or 60 minutes. The Europa League is massive. The Premier League is massive. So I just can't see where Martinelli's next minutes are going to come from. But we'll we'll finish off with one final question here uh, from Bitblob, who says that, uh, do you think Smith Rowe's progress will be hindered if Arsenal end up signing Martin Odegaard permanently? Now, there's obviously lots of rumours that Arsenal do want to sign Odegaard permanently. Do you think that would be a bad thing for Smith Rowe's development? Yeah, uh, it's really difficult, isn't it? I, I, yeah, I do think ultimately, yeah, I, I do think it's such a dilemma. But you know, you can't, you can't carry on thinking, oh, I just need one player for each yeah. position, and you've got to have competition as well. But I do think that Smith Rowe has been such a breath of fresh air, and he's made such you know positive impact for me that I do feel a little bit sad for him that basically all of a sudden he's got Odegaard in front of him, and I think sometimes you know Odegaard. Please don't get me wrong. I think he's a, he's a good player. And, you, you know, I thought I actually ended up making him my man of the match yesterday. I think he made a sort of positive, you know, impact. I, you know, I was torn between sort of him, Smith-Rowe and Tierney. Mm. And so, you know, I've been a bit divided. And I think probably a lot of Arsenal fans have too as well about sort of Odegaard. I think there's this kind of assumption, isn't there, sometimes you don't sort of kind of follow the club sort of as closely as we perhaps do in that basically I think, you know, I think there's sort of the wider media might say, oh, Odegaard's a really good signing. He's done this. He scored that amazing goal. And and the reality is that a lot of Arsenal fans who sort of love to see young players, love sort of kind of, you know, enjoying the young players, t- you know, breaking through, which I think is great, by the way. You know, it's always what, you know, I've fed off as a football fan, yeah. you know, to see young players come through. I think uh, I think there's nothing better, you know, particularly when they're homegrown talent. And, um, and I just think it's been a bit, you know, it has impinged upon him. He's impinged upon his minutes and opportunities. I think Smith Rowe is best in the middle. But do, you know, do they need that extra bit of quality, that playmaking option that they've lost perhaps since, you know, Ozil's decline and then departure? Well, yes, absolutely. But I just think it's a shame if you're kind of squeezing out, you know, Smith Rowe and making him less effective in a wide role because I don't think he is a wide player. I just think he is that sort of playmaker. I could see why they'd want to do Odegaard, but it, it would come with a kind of big caveat, wouldn't it? That kind of what does it mean for for Smith Rowe? But you know, there's there's injuries, there's opportunities, and I guess, you know, he plays so many games, but I just feel a little bit concerned, you know, for, for Smith Rowe if if that was the case. Because I tell you what, I think Smith Rowe and Saka, their their understanding, their combinations. Mm-hmm. Is it for me? That was when Arsenal were at their best post Christmas, when they played some lovely combinations, and I just love to see that. And yeah, I'll, I'll hold man's up and say that basically, yeah, I'm more 
you know, in the Smith Rowe camp than I'm in, in the Odegaard camp at the moment, despite how well he played against Spurs, I thought. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I like Odegaard. I think he would be a really shrewd signing just based on mm. the first point there is that you can't just have one player for each position. I think it's it's vital that, especially with Smith Rowe's injury record, because he missed the mm. first two months of the season with injury. He missed the whole year of his career when he sort of first broke into the Arsenal team under Unai Emery with a, a hip problem that sort of ended up making him not play at all when he was on loan at RB Leipzig. So maybe I think I, I think just based on that, it does make sense for Arsenal to bring in someone. And if it's someone like Odegaard who come the end of the season will will know the club, will know the squad, will know the management, all that kind of stuff. I just for me that deal makes sense if it's affordable, which is all obviously dependent on where Arsenal finish in the season. Which uh yeah, it's something for us to look forward to going forward but John thank you very much for joining me on the uh, Football Digest Extra and thank you all very much for watching and listening and we'll see you all very soon